Welcome to the Radically Christian Crosstalk Podcast, episode 24. On today's episode, James Sumners, Sam Dominguez, and I discuss the discipline of the Lord. This discussion was prompted by a wonderful voicemail that we received from one of our listeners. Let's jump right into the discussion. The first thing that comes to my mind is that sometimes people say, well, God must think that I'm really strong, otherwise he wouldn't have given me this burden to bear, you know, or God must really think that I'm, I can handle this or that I'm equipped for it. That's why God gave me this particular whatever, that God is disciplining me in this way, and that we think about it in a very individualized way, as if God was specifically giving to this person, because you're so strong, I'm going to give you cancer, because whatever, you know, whereas I don't think that that's exactly what we're talking about here. Well, I think I think all of us struggle uh, to, for lack of a better word, rationalize the the pain and suffering that we mm-hmm. deal with in this life. And if we can come up with a reason why it somehow is uh, for our betterment spiritually, then that can give us comfort. And so I think a lot of our misunderstanding about the discipline of God really comes from us trying to grasp for an understanding of the suffering that we endure in this life, whether it be uh, our own personal illnesses or, or physical ailments or something like that, or emotional or spiritual suffering that we go through, it it is appealing to think that, well, there's there's a, a spiritual underpinning to this, uh, rather than just the fact that the world is, is a corrupted place, and so things like that will happen. I mean, go back to Job's story. I mean, Job, yes, Job... God says, well, have you considered my servant Job? But Job wasn't, it, it's not just a matter of, well, God has lifted you up for, and so now he's going to throw all this stuff at you. Job's just living a normal life. Stuff happens, and and along comes a disaster, and he has to deal with it. Um, and that's the norm for mankind. I mean, he's not the only one who's ever had to face uh, the difficulties of life, even when he was a a, a, a righteous a man uh, before God, uh, and and it's it's difficult for us to to look at the things that we face the the idea of losing a child um, before before yourself, the idea of uh, losing a spouse, the idea of of losing our best friends. Um, it's it's easy for us to want to come up with some way to to cope with things rather than just say God is God and let him be sovereign and and wait on him to uh, provide the uh, the comfort uh, that that I need because so many times it's easier for me to try to figure out some way to comfort myself than to just wait on the comfort of the Lord we do seem to feel like a explanation for events uh, provides a greater comfort than simply the knowledge that that God will take care of us beyond this life. Um, it's just another one of those ways that we tend to think earth first. We think earthly things first, carnal things first, uh, rather than recognizing uh, spiritual things as being what's important and recognizing that a, a life of absolute misery and suffering does not mean God is not just uh, due to the fact that he has saved us from our sins. He has pulled us out of the captivity and bondage of our sins so that in the next life we can be with him. You know, that's, that is a perfectly fair trade-off. But that knowledge does not always bring us the comfort that we're looking for during times of trial. And so we'll, we will turn around, and, and a lot of times it's, it's not the person who's hurting who 
thinks this way, but rather some well-meaning mm-hmm. uh, Christian tells them something like that. Well, you know, God wouldn't put this in your path if he didn't think you could handle it uh, type of a situation. And I don't know that anyone is deliberately meaning uh, this, but we tend to tread very, very dangerously close to saying that God causes calamity to befall us, that God puts temptation into our path. And the scripture specifically says that he does not do that to us. And so I think we need to really go back in and and reevaluate the scriptures that talk about the discipline of God, because those two, those ideas are at odds. One of them is incorrect, and we need to come to a correct understanding. We have a tendency to think about our relationship with God in terms of me and God. We have a t- tendency to think of it as a very individual thing. And and it is on on one hand because we have to decide individually that we will follow the Lord, that we will commit ourselves to him, that we will walk with him. But throughout the Bible, both Old and New Testaments, it's always been God and his people. And so what has tended to to be the case, I think, is that is that through God's word communicated through the prophets, communicated through Jesus, through his apostles. God communicates to his people, I love you, and this is what I've done for you. I've brought you out of Egypt, as in the case in the Old Testament, I've given you the promised land in Israel, and for us, that he's brought us out of slavery to sin, and that that we are you know, going to spend eternity with him in heaven. And so that's what the Word teaches us, and, and then we undergo trials, and then we undergo all of these hardships, and so the natural question is, does God still love me? Am I saved? Am I right with God? If I'm going through these things, if I am God's chosen people, then why am I going through this? And so Israel always suffered with that. They always were asking, you know, have you forgotten us? Have you turned your back on us? Or even why have you turned your back on us? And the answer is, I haven't. You are still my chosen people, I'm, but I am disciplining you. I'm allowing you to go through this so that you're better on the other side. And and so I think that we have to learn to, number one, we have to learn to trust faith. And by that, I mean what we know based on God's Word rather than experience, because we have a tendency to want to want our our comfort to come from what we've experienced. Well, I have all this good stuff, or God must really think I'm strong because he's given me this. Whatever human reasoning we use, we base our, our knowledge of God on experience rather than what it should be based on in the Word. And we need to think in as a collective whole, as a body. And that this, I think, is exactly what the Hebrew writer is talking about in Hebrews chapter 12, is about God disciplining the church, that, that God is allowing the church to go through this time of trial. He's, going, he's allowing them to go through this persecution because it is a time and a period of training, not because he has turned his back on them, but because they are his children. Well, and it, 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 I think sometimes people get confused and think we're just playing rhetorical games when we say that God is allowing something to happen, but he is not causing it mm-hmm. to happen. But it, it, it is, in truth, a clear distinction in the sense that God does not cause sinful people. He does not cause people to behave in sinful or evil ways. He doesn't cause someone to persecute uh, one of his believers. And yet, he does, through his uh, commands for how we live our life, set us up in such a way that evil people will persecute us. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not because he is causing that to happen or setting us up for that type of abuse, but rather that is a natural byproduct of trying to 
live a righteous life in a corrupt world. And the question really becomes, why doesn't God then just swoop in and undo any possible harm, any possible suffering, uh, anytime anything hurts, anytime anything goes wrong, why doesn't God just swoop in and make it right now, as opposed to his promise that we know by faith that he's going to make it right in the time to come? Um, it, it reminds me, I mean, it, it brings to mind Deuteronomy, uh, when it's, once again, Moses is discussing uh, the, the discipline that we undergo as children of God, and he reminds them of the wandering in the wilderness, and he says, the Lord allowed you to be hungry. Now, was it God's fault that they were wandering in the wilderness and hungry? No, that was their fault. That was their sin that caused this to happen. And yet he says, I allowed you to be hungry, but then what did he do? Did he supply them with just any old food or the same food they'd had before or bring them across a marketplace where they could buy grain and whatnot? No, he provided them manna so that they would understand that your salvation only comes from me. He provided sustenance for them that could only come from God. And as we understand, as we gain this proper understanding of the Lord's discipline, of the Lord's training for us as his children, we we need to come to the understanding that salvation is never going to come from earthly understanding. It's never going to come from thinking about things from a carnal position. It comes from recognizing that God alone can bring salvation to us. God alone can bring that comfort. That's why it's the peace that surpasses all understanding. You know, it's having a a good understanding, an, an earthly understanding of our pain and suffering, recognizing why it happened, where it came from, and whatnot, doesn't bring true comfort. Mm-hmm. Only God brings that true comfort. Yeah. And it comes it comes separate from that knowledge and understanding. And we need to always remember that bad things happen to all people. That uh, the good happens to all people. God brings blessings on all mankind, whether they follow him or not. He gives them good things. He gives them rain. He gives them times of harvest. He gives them the things that they need. So why? So that they can look so that they can look to him and look to the heavens and say, there is a God, so, so that they can look towards him. And for those of us, in, in a sense, in the, in the opposite sense, for those of us who do follow him, he does, he does the good thing so that we will remember that he is the one that supplies for our every need. And he allows the bad things to happen to all mankind. So again, we will look to God so that it, as I see, as the bad things happen to me, uh, and those who are, who are not uh, of his people, I recognize that I can only get what I need from God. I must depend on him, whether in good times or in bad times, whether whether in blessings or in curses, whatever may come, I depend on God. And if I have that attitude, then I can see the opportunities to discipline myself in the way of Christ in the way of God, to follow him, to to correct the paths that he has set me on or set before me, that I may follow him when I see the things in life that, that, that are difficult and that are good. And I guess one thing that, that a lot of people probably wonder when they go through a hard time, it, it, talking about this, this conversation, this issue, a lot of people probably wonder, am I being disciplined? You know, so when they when they have cancer, when they've lost a loved one, when 
financially, everything seems to be falling apart. They wonder, am I being, am I being disciplined? And the answer is yes. It's always yes. I mean, yes, you are being disciplined. Um, in the sense of what what James writes in James chapter one, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you face trials of various kinds, because the testing of your faith produces endurance, and, and this endurance it, it makes you who God wants you to be. And so, so yes, when when we go through hard times, we are being disciplined. And I think the the way we we've got to define that discipline is you're being trained, you're being your your faith is being tested. Again, that doesn't mean that God specifically gave that to you. God made you go through this hard time, but God is allowing you to go through that, the way he lets all mankind go through those things, he's allowing you to do that so that he can train you to rely on him, so that he can train you to uh, to, to be the person that he wants you to be. It produces endurance. Tra- training, not punishment. Right, exactly. Great a, a lot of times we, we confuse the two, mm-hmm. and we think that God is punishing us, or he, he is, uh, you know, he's putting his thumb on us to produce some kind of a result, mm-hmm. uh, rather than that... God allows this world that he has designed to carry forth, knowing that if we will... And it's not that he is training us up without any... Uh, <laughs> that that he is putting us in a position where we need training, where we need discipline, and leaving it up to us. Mm-hmm. He is disciplining us. He is training us up. He gives us the tools we need to get through these situations. He says, when this happens, when these types of things exist in life, when you're dealing with hunger, whether it's you know the, the people in the wilderness, or whether it's the church about to deal with persecution, like in, in uh, the book of Hebrews, he says, follow my commands. Do things the way I have instructed you to do, and that will see you through. Mm -hmm. And so at no point is God abandoning us. At no point is he turning away from us, like you said. It is instead, rather, the opportunity of, this is why I told you these things. This is how you can apply these things, Mm -hmm. and this will make you even more the people that I want you to be. It will bring you that much closer to me. He's directing our paths. He's given us the way to go, which is what the the originally the church was often called the way. I mean, he's given us the way to follow so that we can know how to deal with all things that life has to present us. It's not a matter of, you know, we've, Wes has talked about in sermons uh, before how the Word of God isn't like a practical guide to how to live, but in a sense, it is. It's not practical in the sense of, well, it, it makes my life easier. It, it's a practical guide that says, this is how you do everything. And it doesn't matter if it makes you feel better. It doesn't matter if it makes your life happy. This is the guide that God has given us so that we may understand how he wants us to live. And that will, that in in a sense, will, will give us that happiness, that, that joy that we will be able to have in, in life. It's, it's, it's recognizing that we are spiritual people. We are mm-hmm. spiritual beings, you know, and, and we tend to think everything earthly first. Mm-hmm. And when we're suffering, that's all we can see is our physical suffering. And, you know, it's a false dichotomy to say, well, the scripture is either spiritual guidance or practical guidance, or certain parts of the scripture are spiritual and certain parts are practical nonsense. They are all spiritual, practical guidance. Amen. Living a spiritual life practical is what spiritual. produces a godly life. It is what gets us through mm-hmm. this earthly life to be the people that we truly are, which is spirit. When we, you know, all of us are going to shed this form at some point, whether it be because the Lord comes again or because we pass on. 
And that's when we become who we truly are. Mm-hmm. And so to try and dismiss whole swaths of Scripture because we think that, well, that's that's spiritual, thus that doesn't apply in this particular case. No, spiritual is every case. Everything has a spiritual application. Everything has spiritual guidance that God's, God has given to us. And so it may not be that the point is to make this earthly life better, because our emphasis is on the next life. But that is certainly a byproduct of living spiritually the way God wants us to be, is that we do have a better existence now. There are blessings now. But to turn around and think that, well, anytime we're not receiving blessings, we're receiving pain or we're receiving suffering or persecution, uh, persecution in the Lord's name because of us being spiritual people, that that somehow comes into conflict with God's teaching. No, that that sometimes is a byproduct of it. It's a natural result of spiritual people living in a corrupt world. Well, it was like I I, I said this morning in the sermon that um, that you know people, especially as it deals with you know interpersonal relationships, people want to know, well, will this work? If I love my enemies, will that work? And then they they said, well. I just don't think it'll work in this situation, so I'm not going to try it. Or even not just loving your enemies, but but things like if your brother has something against you or you've sinned against your brother, uh, go to him and, and, and be reconciled. First be reconciled. Leave your gift at the altar and first be reconciled. And so people say, yeah, I know that's what Scripture says. I know that's what I'm supposed to do, but... Uh, you know, Wes isn't the kind of guy that I can just go to and talk to about that kind of stuff. So I'm going to have to, you know, bypass it this time. This is a this is an exceptional type of a situation. And so we just go around. What we don't realize, I think, is that those those difficult situations, that's what the testing of our faith is. It's saying, okay, in this hard situation where you're being persecuted, where you're hungry, where you're sick, where things aren't going the way that you want them to or the way you think that they should, will you still trust? Will you still obey? And when we do, when we step out on faith and we trust and obey, then we're drawn closer to God every single time. It draws us closer to God. So does it work? Yes, in the sense that it brings you closer to Mm -hmm. God. It has nothing to do with what the other person's response will be, whether or not they will reciprocate your kindness. Who cares? That's not the point. The point is, of course, God wants that. God wants them to come closer to Him as well. But as far as I'm concerned, that's not the issue. The issue is, will I trust and will I obey? Even if... if For some reason, we think, well, but God wouldn't want me to die. God wouldn't want me to put my life in jeopardy. God wouldn't want me to be poor. It's like, well, says who? If that's what it takes to to trust and obey, then we'll do it. Then we'll be martyrs. I mean, we wouldn't be the first, you know? I think, once again, that comes from a mindset of thinking earth first. Because, well, God wouldn't want me this, and God wouldn't want me that. I don't know that God has an opinion about your status here on earth. Mm-hmm. You know, when slaves became Christians, they didn't get freed. They were told to go and be cave in Christian like manner to your masters. When masters were, became Christians, they weren't commanded, and now you have to free all of your slaves, but they were told you treat them as your brother in Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, our, our status on this earth is of entirely secondary importance. It, which which basically means it's not important at all. You know, God, what God cares about is our soul. He cares about, can we be reconciled to Him? And, and I think a lot of us struggle with the idea of, well, what I really want is to, as soon as I am right with God, have Him change the, the rules of the game so that now I don't have to struggle with it anymore. 
Just basically, as soon as I'm right with God, come bring me to be with you. Be, and we, we want the same kind of attitude about evil. Well, why doesn't God just come down here and wipe out all evil? Why does he allow these things to continue to exist in this world? But in both cases, the requirement is that God is patient with us. Because if we wanted God to just act with immediacy in this life, then all of us would fail. That time we sinned, we would have been, boom, permanently separated from God. His patience that both allows evil to continue to exist in this world, allows us to require discipline and training to deal with persecution and suffering in this life. It is that patience that saves us, that brings about our salvation, because it's what gives us the opportunity to respond to the gospel. It's what gives us the opportunity to commit to God, to put on Jesus in baptism, and become his disciples. Without that patience that brings about these other things, we wouldn't have that opportunity. And so for us to to think that this byproduct of God's patience somehow makes God's patience unfair is to completely lose sight of what that brings to us. And we we so often think that... uh... Well, this I'm the only one who's ever dealt with this, or I'm I'm facing this alone, or um, whatever. But how is it that we so often forget what Jesus faced, as if as if God is exempt from His own rules? God bound Himself in Jesus Christ to the rules of this life. He bound Himself not only to the rules of this life, but to a society that was going to reject Him. They, he bound himself not only to a society that was going to reject him, but that was going to put him on a cross. And what is a cross? It's a shameful death. Uh, and, and, and here we are. We were, we were talking, uh, Wes mentioned Hebrews chapter 12. Let me read it real quick, 1 through 3. Because, I mean, I can't imagine not reading this while we're talking about this. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I mean, just think about that. How much more can you endure? He did it. He, he bound himself, the, not only the author and perfecter of our faith, but the author of life. He bound himself to this life. He bound himself to the rules that he set into existence. If, if you, I mean, we can't, we can't think that we are different than God in that sense. Like God didn't just come to this earth and say, boom, you're saved. He said, I will live the life that you live. I will submit myself to the rules that I have set for my people. And I will give you hope. I will give you grace. And that grace is that patience that you were talking about. I want to go back to something Sam said earlier, just to clarify, because I, I think I know what Sam was saying, but just to clarify, I think that 
I, I mean, it's a difficult thing to to one on the one hand to to see people with compassion and mercy. You know, to you were talking about um, you know the state that we're in in this life. You know, I mean, it, because slaves were told on the one hand, if you can gain your freedom, that's great. You know, so so yes, absolutely. And and you read like Philemon, you know, and 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 look at how that that slave master relationship. And you think about things that Jesus said that even a sparrow that falls to the ground, you know, God. God knows, God cares. And so God does care about our suffering and doesn't want us to suffer. And we ought to look at our fellow man, uh, whether that had in the time of the New Testament be a master looking at his slave or even a slave looking at his master and and not want our fellow man to suffer. But yet there's that tension that says, God doesn't want me to suffer. This isn't this isn't the constant state that God just like is rubbing his hands, smiling, said, ha ha ha, yeah, now they're now they're now they're suffering. But that God says, you know what, as much as this pains me to watch my people, the people that I love, people that I created, as much as it pains me to watch them go through it, it is for their good that they might come to know me. And I'm going to allow them this season of suffering that they might, that they might better know me, that their, their faith might be strengthened that we have to be okay in that. And, and that's where our prayers are, in that we surrender those things to God. And, and like Paul, pray, you know, if it be your will, let this, this thorn be taken from me. You know, as Jesus prayed, let this cup pass from me. But that in the end, we say, His grace is sufficient for me. That, we, that we're okay with the suffering because not only is His grace sufficient, but that even the suffering is for our benefit. It is, it is making us stronger, that, that, that God doesn't want us to suffer in, in the sense that He's not laughing about it, but He allows us to suffer. And even Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4 that at times it's God's will that we suffer and that He willingly allows us to suffer uh, for His glory. That's a that's an interesting place to to stay and and be okay in that because God's will is being done. Well, I mean, we just have to look at every one of these passages that's talking about the discipline of God and what what is the metaphor that is used. It is just as a father disciplines exactly. his children. It is for love. It is for their betterment. Mm-hmm. God doesn't do these things out of any capriciousness or any desire or any any joy in our in our suffering but rather that it is his love it is that compassion mm-hmm. upon this life that he allows these things to take place and if once again if we start thinking beyond ourselves uh, and consider what it is to be a parent of a child and how it doesn't do that child any good if you don't allow them, if you don't prepare them to be able to deal with life, if you don't prepare them to be able to physically exist in this world, then you don't love that child. You're not acting with love toward that child. And to find ourselves in a position where, by God's grace, we are heirs of the kingdom, we are his children, then yes, I have the full expectation that he will discipline me in that love for my good for my betterment, and make me who he wants me to be. And I need to be happy with that. I need to find the joy in that. And sometimes it's easy to uh, to feel like when we've been doing that for a long time and dealing with the struggle of, of life and being satisfied, there comes a time sometimes when we feel it's become in vain, that we're, we question, can we continue? Is, this, is, it, really, is it really worth it? Am I, am I really... Is God really who He says He is? Is all of this, and there's just a struggle. Even even men like Isaiah had that struggle. Mm-hmm. Let us not 
fool ourselves to think that only normal people, because every person is a normal person. Isaiah was normal. Moses was normal. David was normal. All of the giants of faith were normal people. And, and they felt the vanity of it. But God also told them, I have a reward waiting for you. Now, that's not the goal. The goal is love me, follow me, do what's right, follow my path, but there will be something waiting for you. I have it. It's at the end. Just be patient, endure, press on. Well, it's it's Hebrews 11, you know, and I mean, and, and that's, this whole context is the book of Hebrews, but Hebrews eleven six says that, that God rewards those who diligently seek him, that that whoever would come to him, and, and, and there's the goal, whoever would come to him, that's got to be the goal. That's what we're diligently seeking. We're diligently seeking him, and that God is a rewarder. What does he reward those who diligently seek him with? What is their reward? Him. He is the reward. And so, so you know, I mean, but so often we we want our reward to be streets of gold and pearly gates, but it's no, the Lord himself is, is our portion. He, he is our reward. And, and yet as, as a natural byproduct of that life is better with God. There, there is no more suffering. There is no more tears. There is no more death in that life. It is different. It is better. And while we don't pursue those things for themselves, God has told us, it is better mm-hmm. with me. These other things are no longer here. I have defeated them. I have put them away. They have, will not affect you when we are here. And you know, going back to the, those guys being normal, it brings me back to the beginning of the conversation where so many people misunderstand this point because they're looking for answers. And a lot of times, you know, intellectual guys like us, we want to come to those people with answers. When in truth, we just need to come to them with compassion. Mm-hmm. We don't need to try and explain away their pain and their suffering. We just bring them that love and that compassion, and we can help see them through these difficult times mm-hmm. together. And as we mature spiritually, we we start to recognize these things for what they are. We start to recognize and appreciate God's discipline without feeling that He is punishing us. A big thanks to all of our guests and to Cameron McElyay for his help in the production of this show. And thank you to all of our listeners. We hope this discussion inspires you to have these kinds of spiritual discussions with people in your life. If you have a question or a topic you'd like for us to discuss, please call and leave us a short voicemail at 707-238-2216. That's 707-238-2216. Remember, we love you, God loves you, and we hope you have a wonderful day.